Hey everyone, and thank you for checking out this message today. I'm Reed Robinette. I'm the senior pastor at Crossroads Church in Maryland, and we hope this message encourages you and challenges you. We believe that everybody has a next step of faith to take, and I hope this message helps you take yours. Enjoy. Good morning again, Crossroads. Glad that you are here. If you are joining us online, welcome. If you are in Hampstead or Eldersburg, one of our other campuses, welcome. So glad that you are here. My name is Reed. If we have not met, um, I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads. And we are starting a brand new series today that's going to lead us all the way up to Easter called Long Story Short. Uh, Before we jump into that, I I want to do um, two things. One, I want to say, if this is your first time online or at any of our campuses or here in Westminster, welcome. We know that every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. And we think that's a really important part of who we are and and what we're doing here. Um, For the next two minutes or so, I'm going to have like a little uh, family talk for people who have maybe come before. Uh, But I don't want you to think that we don't appreciate uh, you being here or or that anything, well, I was going to say that anything sounds confusing. We already sang a song by The Fray and talked about running a 0.5K. So uh, if that didn't confuse you already about who we are, uh, then this won't either. Um, We have over the the last year, been talking about a journey that we wanted everyone who calls Crossroads home to go on. Uh, And we called it the one journey. The the purpose was for us to become more like Jesus individually and to become more like the church that Jesus envisions us to be collectively. And, And so I believe the church is beautiful when it doesn't leave anybody behind. And so we want to invite everybody to go on the journey. And, and that means uh, to be a participant and not just an observer, to be uh, an owner and not just a consumer of what we're doing here as a church. And so we have challenged or encouraged, it depends on which way you're motivated, <laughs> right? Some of you like a challenge. And so if that's you, I'm in your face right now. Some of you are like, no, no, no. (laughs) I like encouragement. And so if that's you, I'm sitting back and I'm inviting like this, come along. So either a challenge or an encouragement to take a step, to take a step and go on this journey of discipleship with us. And, And so that could be a lot of different things. We've given everybody two steps that we are inviting you or challenging you to take. (laughs) And that is to tell your story and to make a pledge. And so whether you've done either of those two things, uh, we would still like to encourage or challenge you to do that. (laughs) And so what I would ask you to do in the next week or two is take this new one guide and to do some business with the Lord with it. It is a one step. It's not the only step. It's not the most important step, but it will guide you through the process of making a pledge. And here's what that means. On the inside, there's these five boxes and it describes maybe where you are. One of them, probably you don't need to read it up there because you can put it in your hand. I know it's really small. Uh, um, you will find like, okay, I think this one describes me. And then it will give you a question to ask, 
a prayer to pray, and a potential action step to take. And so here's, here's what we're asking. Let's be really clear. Um, this is not about whatever number you write on the back of this card. It's not. It is about you taking a step on the journey to become more like Jesus. And so it does not matter if all the numbers that you write on the back are zeros. Doesn't matter. If you have said, okay, I'm going to ask this question to myself. I'm going to pray God leads me. And out of that, I'm going to say, I'm in. I'm a participant. I'm not just an observer of what God's doing at my church. And this is my church. And I'm a part of it. That's a win. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a million dollars. That's not the point. The point is for you to take a step. And I'll just say one more time. If you don't take any steps ever, you're not really following Jesus. (laughs) You're standing there. (laughs) Follow him. Come on the journey with us. If you are feeling right now that this is um, me, us trying to get something from you and making you feel guilty, you miss my heart. That's not it. I want something for you, and I want you to experience grace. And so I'm inviting you or challenging you, whichever way you want to do it, um, to be a part of that. On March the 19th, we are going to... um, have a time where anybody who wants to can turn in their, their pledge card. You don't need to do it if you did it a year ago. About 70-something people did it a year ago. I hope about 700 people do it this year. <laughs> um, but if not, we've got a whole other year. We'll keep at it. <laughs> we want to not leave anybody behind. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. One uh, uh, long story short, uh, is the, the premise is uh, that we should be prepared for Easter. You know how when about a month ahead of Christmas, people start asking that question, are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, and everybody has their own answer and, and whatnot. Uh, you know what I hardly ever hear? Are you ready for Easter? I, I don't know what that would mean. Are your eggs dyed? Uh, have you warned your children about bunnies? I, I don't know what it would be. Um, but... but But let me say, we should be prepared for Easter because, quite frankly, the whole Christian faith is based upon the events we celebrate at Easter. The death and the resurrection of Jesus are the foundation for everything else we believe in the Christian faith, right? So let me give you some examples. The reason that we believe Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh, was because of his death and resurrection. That's why we believe him. Uh, If Don Murphy came to me and said, hey, Reed, I'm the son of God, I would say, I'm going to need a little proof. (laughs) And you should say the same thing if Don says that to you. (laughs) And, And Jesus said, I'm the son of God. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back three days later. And he did it. And that event is why we believe he is who he said he was. I'll give you another one. We believe that the scripture, the the books that make up the Bible, are God's word and authoritative because of the acts at Easter. Because Jesus died and rose again, and he said they're true. (laughs) So I just go with him. 
If someone can predict their death and resurrection and then pull it off, I just I go with him instead of what I could cook up in my own brain. That's why we believe the Bible, because of Easter. It's why we believe the role of the church is God's redemptive force in the world. It is because that's what Jesus said. <laughs> and he died and came back. So we just go with it. The death and the resurrection of Jesus are so central to everything that we do and believe. We should be prepared to embrace all of that on Easter, but yet we probably don't ask, are you ready for Easter? But if I did ask you today, do you know what the honest answer for most of us would be? No, Reed, I am not. <laughs> so let's get ready. Let's get ready for Easter. And that's what long story short is about. Our hope throughout this series is that as we look at the sacrificial love and the redemptive power of God that is on display over and over and over again in so many different ways prior to Easter, that by the time we get there, it will be magnified in our understanding and its power in our lives when we celebrate the death and resurrection. So that's what long story short is. It is the long story of God's redemptive purposes in the world that prepares us for the crescendo, the death and resurrection on Easter. So we're going to start today, episode one, and it starts just outside of the Garden of Eden. So we're going way, way back. Um, just after uh, sin enters the picture, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God does the creating, and it was good. In fact, God said he looked at everything, it was good, but he looked at human beings and he said, very good, uh, and my best work. And God was in fellowship with his creation. There was no separation. And then, you know the story, Sin enters the picture. There's a broken relationship, with not only with God, but with everything else. There's hiding and blaming for the first time. And depending on your background, when I say sin entered the picture, you have one of a couple of different responses. Um, some of you are like, oh my gosh, here we go on the guilt trip again. I feel bad enough. That's why I don't come to church very much. And now you're going to make me feel worse. Um, I get it. Uh, some of you think, well, you know, that's just so um, old school. Um, I just let's just talk about the love of God, and let's not let's leave that part out. Um, and I get it. Uh, some of you are like, I don't even believe that part of the Bible. <laughs> I just think that you know you'd have to check your intellect at the door to even believe something like that. Here's my point. Whatever your reaction is when I say sin entered the world, you believe there was an Adam guy and there was an apple, or that's the furthest thing from your mind. Um, give me 45 seconds to convince you that whatever you think about that story, you are aware and believe of sin in our world. Ready? 45 seconds. No touch. Wait till mommy comes back. You understand? Okay, I'll be right back. Uh, Aren't uh, they cute? Nope. Hello? 
Where did they learn that? Did anybody teach them that? That is what life is like in a sinful world. Did you notice the one little girl's face who ate all of them? No remorse. None at all. Little sister, this is so unfair. Well, she ate one too. It's a picture. Um, however you want to describe this being a reality of our world, it is the reality of our world, and you live in it, and I live in it, and God is involved in it. How? I'm glad you asked. Let's read from Genesis chapter 4. This is right after sin enters the picture, and it is a glorious, um, tragic, confusing informing picture of what life is like east of Eden. Adam made love to his wife, Eve. I like the old version better where it just says Adam knew Eve. It seems like a more PG rated thing, but anyway. Uh, And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. And it gives a description of the world that they lived in. And I would suggest the world that we live in. It's the world east of Eden. It's it's the world where people can choose to have an identity built apart from God. And all of the ramifications of that. And so... All the way back here, I want you to see, number one, the nature of sin, Uh, the the way it's present, how it works, the power of it. 
But secondly, I want to make sure you don't miss the presence of grace. Because grace is all the way through this passage. You might not have seen it. And then the possibility, because of the grace, of salvation. All the way back here at the beginning of the story. There is salvation that's possible. I'll show you how. So, so first of all, let's start with the nature of sin. First off, we see that there is this subtle um, origin of sin playing a uh, co- having consequences in Cain's life. And I guess I would say in Abel's life. But Cain was the one who did the acting. And so did you see how it started? Very interesting in verses 4 and 5. It says... Abel brought an offering like Cain did. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering in the second part, but he did not look with favor on Cain's. And that made him what? Very angry. Why? And there's a lot written about the difference between these two offerings and people way smarter than me that I couldn't win a debate with, I promise you. Um, but I just went and looked up the word, look with favor, and it just means he looked. It just means he looked at one of them, and apparently he didn't look at the other one yet. And this makes so much sense to me because of the world that we live in. It doesn't take much more than that, does it? How many of you have ever had a kid who was playing soccer, like little youth league soccer? And you know, there two things happen in little league soccer. One, half the time, they don't even pay attention to the ball, right? They're just, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, little four and five-year-olds and um, they just, they pick flowers and and whatever. Um, But then by chance, if they are paying attention to the ball and they might actually kick the ball, do you know the one thing that matters to them? That their parents were watching. Oh, heaven forbid that they would kick the ball and turn and look and you would be having a conversation over here somewhere. You will never hear the end of that. Why? Because I need you to watch me in order for me to matter. I, I need to know that I matter. Cain was the firstborn and he had created an identity for himself that he mattered because he was first. And if anybody's uh, offering should be favored, should be noticed, it should be his. You think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Exactly. It's the subtle origin of sin. When we begin to create identities where we need something besides God to tell us we're okay. And if you don't get it, You might think, well, I would never do that. For goodness sakes, he didn't have to go kill him. (laughs) Do you know what's the difference between your heart and Cain's heart? Nothing. (laughs) You just didn't have the right opportunity. I know that sounds, uh, you know, hyperbolic. Uh, But we have the same issues, and sin does the same thing with us in the same origin that's so subtle. And then all of a sudden it isn't. And it bubbles out. And then uh, I love that pouting comes into play right at the beginning here. (laughs) Did you see what it says? Uh, And so he was angry and his face became downcast. So it's not just that he was angry. He was walking around so that everyone would know he was angry. (laughs) Right? You've seen this. Yeah. 
If you've been married, you have seen this, I promise you. <laughs> right? Yeah. What's wrong? Nothing. Yeah. And so he's pouting. And, and, and that's because we live east of Eden in a world that's mucked up because we create identities apart from God. We don't choose his best. And, and the second thing that you learn here about sin is it's camouflaged. It doesn't walk right up to you and slap you in the face. Look at verse 7. God says, sin is crouching at your door. What, what does that mean? What, what happens when somebody crouches down? Well, they're sneaking. They're, they don't want you to see them. And then they look smaller than maybe they actually are. Maybe you do see them, but you're like, a oh, little thing right there. This is what happens with sin in our lives. It, it either looks like a virtue <laughs> or it looks like no big deal. And that's how it gets at us. And, and look at what happens. The second part of it desires to throw you off course a little bit. Is that what it says? No. It desires to um, nick you a little bit, um, give you a little bump. No. It desires to have you. <laughs> that word is rule you, be in charge of you. And it starts, the origin is so subtle, it's camouflaged, and then it isn't. And that's what happens east of Eden. That is the way that most of us experience life east of Eden. And before we move on, can I just ask you this? Do you know, for everybody watching right now, do you know that the most detrimental, destructive thing in your life in this season is probably something that you don't even consider a threat right now. By definition, <laughs> that's why it's going to be so harmful. Could has the potential to be so dangerous is you don't think it's going to do much. That's where Cain and Abel were living. Now, aren't you glad that this is not the end of the message? Cause like it could be um, too bad. So sad. <laughs> uh, you ate the apple. That's what you get. <laughs> But it's not. There's the presence and the power and the nature of sin here. But then look at the grace. Oftentimes, people that have problems with the Bible and with the way God is described in it will say something like this. I, I like the God of the New Testament. Like he's all loving, forgiving, compassionate. I just don't like the Old Testament one. Like he's all cranky and um, is just violent. And I don't like that, God. Can I tell you? Um, this is about as old in the Old Testament as you can go. <laughs> and God demonstrates grace. One after another after another. Did you see it? First of all, when does God show up? Before the murder happens. Before the unreversible action takes place. God shows up before and, and intercedes, offers options. And, and what does he say when he gets there? You listen to me. You're going to re regret this for the rest of your, you better, this is, I should have. Nope. There's no finger wagging. What does he say? 
He says, Cain, why are you angry? You know this. Whenever God asks a question, it's not for his information. It's for yours. So he says, Cain, what's going on, bro? What? Why are you so angry? Why are you pouting? What's happening with you? Is that not gracious? And then he says, here's what you do about it. You won't be honest with me and tell me, but I'm going to tell you (laughs) what's going on and give you a way out. And he says, sin is crouching there at the door, but you, you can rule over it. You can decide to make a different choice. I believe that you can do that. If that's not grace, (laughs) this side of Eden, where we live in a sinful world, God still shows up. Did anybody ask him? Nope. Nobody calls out, oh God, I'm thinking about doing a really bad thing. Can you please come help me? That's not this story. And God shows up. He initiates. It's the grace that God, God never sacrifices mercy for justice or the other way around. He never does. God is always completely filled with grace and truth at the same time. And it is consistent in the long story of God's redemptive love. All the way back here. Okay, so there's sin, but there's also grace, which means that there's a possibility of salvation. Not from doing what's right and earning God's favor. That ship has sailed. (laughs) Right. If, if you think, and, and sometimes if you read verse seven and it says, you know, if you do what's good, you'll be accepted. And we have a tendency to read that by God, which if you read the chapter before is clearly not on the table <laughs> that we can't ever be good enough to put the genie back in the bottle and earn God's favor. Ain't going to happen. So what's it mean? He says, you know, If you do what's good, you will be able to keep your head up. You will not be banished by your family. Um, You know how relationships work. But that's not salvation. So what's the salvation part? look, Look at the consequences that God describes for Cain. Verse 12, he says, you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. When I read that part in the scripture, I heard a few groans in the room. <laughs> like, oh, I felt like that. I-, I bet you know five people that that's a wonderful description of how they feel right now. They just feel like a restless wanderer roaming the earth. And God said, that's going to be what happens to you. A- and in this dialogue, what happens is Cain says, okay, okay, so I'm going to be cut off from you. I'm going to be restless wanderer, no purpose in my life, no place to to call my own, no place where I belong. I'm okay with that, but they're going to kill me. And God says, I won't let them. What? What? Hold on. How does that make any sense? This guy who's living in a sinful world uh, doesn't choose the right thing, chooses the wrong thing, kills his brother, 
and is saying, I'm okay being not with you, God, but don't let them kill me. And God says, okay. What? How does that make any sense? Then it says he marks him, gives him a mark. I have no idea what the mark is. Don't ask me after the sermon. (laughs) That's one of the first questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. Dude, what was the mark? (laughs) Was it like a tattoo or was it like a haircut or what? I mean, what was it? A sign? I don't know. But it said, I won't let them kill you. Where's the salvation in all this? Look at the blood. Look at the blood. Verse 10, God says this. Your brother's blood cries out to me. What's it saying? This dude is guilty. This dude deserves to die. This guy took my my life. Uh, This guy is as guilty as they come. The blood cries out. So why doesn't God let him die? Because... God never sacrifices justice for mercy. He doesn't. So what we know now that they didn't know then was that there was blood more powerful that was going to cry out. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. It says, when you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, after the cross, there's better blood. There's more powerful blood. And it's crying out. And what's it saying? You are innocent. You are innocent. You are innocent. That's what the blood cries out because of the cross. Guilty as the day is long. Not a prayer of ever earning God's favor. The blood cries out and says, you are adopted into the family. You are forgiven. (laughs) You are innocent. Uh, That, my friends, is the story of Easter. Jesus is the real Abel. Right? Abel uh, killed unjustly. Blood speaks. Jesus Killed unjustly. Better blood speaks a better word. Life-changing for you and me. So, long story short, each one of these episodes, we're going to try and summarize uh, in six words. I know some of you wish I would have started with the six words. Then we could have, you know, like saved a bunch of time right there. Um, But it's a way, maybe, to take away... uh, the, the key truth and to prepare ourselves for Easter and all that it means. And so six word summary, long story short, story of Cain and Abel, rescue and restore always God's plan. Always God's plan. No matter where you live East of Eden, God's plan is still to rescue and restore. Um, I I hope that as we walk through this preparation leading up to Easter, are you ready for Easter? No, I am not, Reed. But you will be if you go on this journey with us. 
God will prepare our hearts. And maybe part of that preparation is filling in your own story. So long story short, (laughs) the story of Reed. Uh, I'm a child. I'm a forgiven son. Uh, Long story short, I have a purpose in him. I don't know what yours is, but maybe, long story short, what's your story? I hope you tell it. I hope God makes it clear to you. I hope it prepares you for Easter. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the picture of your sacrificial love that came all the way at the beginning of the long story. (laughs) and never ceases to take my breath away, that I would be the recipient of the cross 